This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. We're joined by Dan Blumstein. He is a professor at the UCLA Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology and the UCLA Institute of the Environment and Sustainability. His seventh book is Ecotourism's Promise and Peril, a Biological Evaluation. But we're going to talk about groundhogs because today is Groundhog Day. Uh, Professor Blumstein, great to have you. Thanks for having me. Uh, all right. So Punxsutawney Phil, he's known for his prognostication skills. My understanding is... That the, the, the pugnacious groundhog from Punxsutawney, too much alliteration there. He came out today and saw his shadow. Where does all this come from? It comes from a, ultimately a pagan holiday in Europe that was um, translated into a, a Catholic holiday, Candlemas Day. Um, groundhog Day falls halfway between the depths of the winter and spring. So it's a midwinter holiday. It's a midwinter celebration. And in Europe, where it's cold and, and dark in the midwinter, people were looking for some prognostication about, you know, whether spring would come sooner or not. And they looked to hibernating animals, um, hedgehogs there. When the Pennsylvania Dutch came over to, uh, the Germans came over to Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania Dutch, they were looking for a similar sort of thing they could uh, capture, if you will, and uh, have some predictive ability. So that the, the groundhog up in the Northeast filled the bill. Huh. Okay. And you study, tell us about groundhogs. You're like, a, you're a groundhog expert, are you not? I'm an enthusiast. Uh, there are 15 different species of relatives of groundhogs. Groundhogs are one of the 15 species of marmots. Marmots are big ground squirrels. They live around the northern hemisphere. Many of them live in uh, alpine areas. And uh, these days I run a long-term study where the, the population and the individuals that we've been studying have been followed for uh, the past 55 years. Now, uh, woodchuck, groundhog, names for the same thing, right? Are there other things that people call them? Uh, woodchuck, groundhog, same thing for, for, the, for the Marmota monax, one of these 15 species, the one that we celebrate today. Although in Alaska they, sell, they celebrate uh, Hori Marmot Day um, because they have Hori Marmots up there. Maybe it's Alaska Marmots. Anyway, they sell Marmot Day in Alaska. So a groundhog is a marmot, though? Groundhog is one of the species of marmots, big ground squirrels. Okay, cool. Huh. They're big. How big can they get? I see them upstate at my parents' place sometimes running around, and they, and it's, you know, some of them, when they get moving, they, they've got some momentum going because they, be, uh, they can be robust fellows. Uh, how Groundhogs big can they get? Are big. Groundhogs are big, 15 pounds, big ones, you know, in the, I mean, like a big fat cat um, uh, during, the, during the fall and winter. Um, they put on a lot of weight. These are true hibernators. In fact, marmots are the, the largest of the true hibernators. They have to eat during the summer and the marmots I study at least, double their weight, and then they hibernate. They shut down their metabolism, and they go into what's called deep torpor. During this time, they burn about a gram of fat a day, and then they wake up periodically to to pee, Um, or maybe they pee because they wake up, and this is one of those sort of paradoxes of hibernation physiology. Do you wake up to pee, or do you pee because you wake up? And, uh, you know, as I age as a man, I sort of change my mind on this one, but we don't really know, but we do know that when they have these periodic arousals over the winter, they burn a lot more um, fat, but then they're down for you know five, six, seven months uh, at a time. So it's it's pretty cool. 
Need Do you get to spend a lot of time with the actual groundhogs? I mean, are they, are they nice? Can they be friendly? If you're allowed to have one in a certain state or locality, would they actually make a decent pet, or is that a terrible idea? Yeah, so, you know, um, I study them in the wild. I've kept, I, I, I and colleagues have borrowed some from the, from the field um, to hibernate and study hibernation physiology, but then we brought them back at the end of the winter and put them back where we got them. Um, some people keep them as pets. Uh, some species are more social than others. The groundhog is the least of the social of the species. They're species that live in around the northern hemisphere, as I said. So in Eurasia, they're much more social. And some of the other North American species are much more social as well. They live in big family groups, it's sort of like a soap opera. Um, and, you know, mothers live with daughters and uh, brothers stick around for sometimes many years and, and fathers and sometimes there's multiple mating. I mean, it's really, it's a sordid affair. Nonetheless, um, these very social ones, apparently they make nice pets. And, you know, I, I bump into people periodically that um, have had a marmot or a groundhog as a pet. So a prairie dog is a marmot and a relative of a groundhog, is that right? Prairie dogs are another group of species in this radiation of these ground-dwelling squirrels. They're not marmots, they're prairie dogs. Oh, so when marmots. I say marmot, okay. I say big cat-sized things. Prairie dogs are a little smaller. Prairie dogs oh, are very social. Okay. People keep those as pets. Yeah, yeah, and they all they they can make big. There's like uh, colonies of them, right, or whatever you call a prairie dog group. I don't we know. We used to have cool colonies, you know, over over you know hundreds of square miles, uh, you know, in the west. The the range of prairie dogs is drastically reduced because of urbanization, because of farming, because of hunting. Um, but um, they used to be very very widespread. But they can live in large colonies of you know hundreds to thousands of individuals, but previously millions of individuals. Would you tell me a bit about your uh, your your seventh book? You've written a lot of books. Ecotourism's Promise and Peril. Um, this is an edited book um, with some colleagues, and what we're doing is we got a bunch of biologists who study um, ecotourism, but also uh, sort of any predator behavior and how animals respond to people. Uh, in a bunch of different contexts and different species. So we have a chapter on marine mammal tourism. We have a chapter on penguin tourism and bird tourism and how birds might respond to, to humans. It's a biological evaluation. I mean, we all love ecotourism. Uh, we all go out and are, are happy to see animals in nature. But uh, the question is, how, what are the negative consequences of this and what then should best practice be to um, manage those various risks of, of, of are there any species in particular of mammal that we feel like people go to visit them they may be doing more harm than they realize well it sort of depends and it's all very context specific so you know riding elephants is that a good thing or a bad thing maybe it's not such a good thing uh trip advisor i believe doesn't allow you to book trips to ride elephants anymore uh but maybe preserving elephants and having elephant ecotourism in, pla in places where maybe people have no other options to, to make money um, is a good thing. So it's, it's actually hard. We're trying to get the biology out there, and we're trying to sort of say, well, here are the biological costs, but those costs will have to be counterbalanced against social and societal benefits. Huh. And what are the classes, if I may ask, that you teach out at UCLA? You've got an interesting line, of, uh, interesting line of study you have. I teach an animal behavior course. Uh, introduction to Behavior and Ecology. I teach a, I've taught in the past and will be teaching again an ecological ethics course. I teach a field biology course that gets undergraduates um, out into the field. Our students are great, um, but they learn. They, they consume knowledge. So in this field biology course, we get them to create knowledge and really learn by doing. And a whole bunch of these well, projects, 80% get published. It's good stuff. Tell me about the uh, the animal animal behavior class. Is that is that sort of like, uh, I mean, to an outsider, it's, you know, 
knowing when the tiger is about to jump at you out of the tall grass, right? <laughs> what kind of stuff do you study? Well, I do. I study any predator behavior and social behavior, but you know, oh, you do? Like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah so that makes sense. I'm interested in that. I, I want to know about when tigers are jumping at me too. Um, but I mean, the whole academic study of behavior is one of why do we see differences? Why do animals do different things? Why do birds sing? Why do some birds sing and not others not sing? Why do we see different mating systems? And then a whole line of my research takes this knowledge about this diversity of behavior we see. What are the ecological conditions under which behaving a certain way might be good or bad? And then translates that and says, okay, well, how does this influence um, the, uh, the ability of a population to persist or grow? Or what happens when we start urbanizing areas? Or how can we recover species from extinction by translocating them, moving them back into areas? And how does behavior, knowledge of behavior, influence this? Hmm. That's some cool stuff. Where can people, do you have some lectures online, or where should people go for your, for your work? Uh, my website's online, and uh, papers are there to download, and there's some videos and interviews and stuff like that. Um, so, uh, what is the, what yeah. is the website, Professor Blumstein? Uh, if you Google marmots and Blumstein, you'll find me. But it's, uh, <laughs> right. I mean, I can spell it out if you'd like. No, no, no. We could we, we, that, that'll do. Everybody could hear it now live, and they'll hear it on the podcast too. Professor yeah. Blumstein of UCLA, um, thank you for the uh, info on groundhogs and everything else. We appreciate it. Appreciate you coming by. Thanks for having me. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. 